Bible, please grab one and turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. Lord willing, we'll cover the first eight verses tonight. Uh, and um, we'll, uh, uh, Lord willing, finish out chapter 21 next week. Um, just a, a lot, a lot here. Um, I was afraid that I wasn't, um, uh, would just not be able to do justice. Uh, not that I'd be able to do justice anyways, but wouldn't be able to do justice taking on, biting off this whole chapter. So we'll do the first eight verses and Lord willing then next, beginning in verse nine through the rest of the chapter next week. So, uh, but Revelation uh, chapter 21, we'll look at verses one through eight. Revelation chapter 21, verses one through Eight, And so, um, if you are physically able to do so, would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Hear the word of the Lord that is given to us tonight. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from, earth, from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is thirsty of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns, uh, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Let's pray. Father, here we are. We are your people, assembled to hear your word. God, work and move in a mighty way for your glory and honor's sake. God, help us to glorify you and to honor you, to praise you in, in hearing your word and acting upon your truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, I think all of us know in this life there are many ups and downs, many hurts and pains, many good and, and, and even bad things that we see on a daily basis sometimes even. Um, not, you don't have to turn on the news. You know, we all know uh, people who get sick, uh, people who, who uh, grow ill, people who struggle with various diseases and illnesses. And we all know uh, that this life is not, uh, is not always easy nor fair. I think it would safe, be safe to say that everybody here, uh, or most, of, most everyone here, has lived long enough to know that life can be very difficult. However, there is a promise in the verses that we've read in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8, that gives us, I think, great hope. Um, obviously, uh, because of Christ and the work of Christ, we are able to be reconciled to the Father through the Son and through the Son's sacrifice. However, I think that there are times when we don't quite clearly understand uh, the ramifications of what that looks like um, in the cosmos, uh, that there is cosmological implications even for Christ's atoning sacrifice upon the cross. That is that God has, has and is doing uh, through Christ and ha will do in Christ and through Christ amazing, miraculous, cosmological things, events, 
He will bring them to pass. And so this, this evening, what I want us to look at is John's vision of this new heaven and this new earth and what he means by new heaven and what he means by, by new earth. And so um, as we've set the text, already set the text before us, I want us to first and foremost see this, this vision, the vision of a new heaven and a new earth here in verses tw- chapter 21 and verse 1, when he just clearly says, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first earth and the first heaven uh, were, uh, sorry, and the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. Now, what John is referring to, if you go back, was uh, the fact that in chapter 20, we're told that, uh, that uh, the heavens uh, were rolled up and they fled away from the, from the face of Almighty God and His judgment. And here he, he's saying, because he saw, seen this, I mean, there's something new that's going to happen. There's something different that's going to happen. And so there's an observation that John makes, the reality of a new heaven and a new earth. Now, I think it's important for us to think, uh, think as, we, as we think about the earth and as we think about uh, the importance of, of, of what God has given us, when John says that he has seen a new heaven and a new earth, a lot of, what a lot of people do is they automatically go to like 2 Peter where Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 10 where he talks about that the, uh, that, uh, the world is, is going to be uh, burned with fire. Um, and they, they say, well, see, that, that means that everything is, is going to be completely different. Uh, God's going to destroy this old creation completely and he's going to bring in and speak forth a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth and everything's just going to be perfect and beautiful. The problem is that in saying that, um, I don't think we quite understand the reality of the world in which we live. Now, I'm not arguing that John saw a new heaven and a new earth, but what does he mean by new heaven and new earth? Does he mean a whole new heaven and earth, or does he mean a, a restored, renewed, regenerated quality heaven and earth that has been uh, given back to us as a blessing. So let me, let, me, let me say to you that my belief is the second. It is that when John refers to new, the word new here means quality. It has reference to the quality of something, not the, not the, not the, not the brand new, right? Not the brand newness, but rather when he uses the word new, it's in reference to the quality of something, not to the, 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 just something that was not is now. And so I think that because of that, it leads me to believe a couple, a couple of things. I think there are 10 things. And this isn't original with me, um, and, but uh, I, I, do want to, I do want to give this to you. I want to sh- give you 10 things to think about as we... Um, as we think about the, the new heaven and the new earth and the importance of the realization of the, of the new heavens and the new earth being that which the Lord has, has, has brought about uh, renewal and rejuvenation and has cleansed it from all sin. First is that Jesus was raised to earth. You say, well, of course Jesus was raised to earth. What do you mean? Well, what I mean is that Jesus was not raised to heaven first. We say, well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is that Jesus was raised to earth first because Jesus was, in his humanity, he was 
In fact, uh, he had a relationship both as creator and as, as, the, 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 as in his humanity, he has a relationship with the earth. He has, a, he has a relationship with the earth. And God didn't just raise him up because the earth, the physical matter upon this earth is in and of itself evil. Right? That, that, would be an ancient, that would be an ancient heresy that was long, condemned, long ago condemned by the, by the, by the church um, and condemned by Scripture, which is a belief that matter is evil. Well, no, matter is not evil. Um, so the Lord Jesus chose to reveal himself on earth before he appeared in heaven and presented himself um, where he sits now on the right hand of the Father. Jesus was raised, to, was sent to the earth and was raised upon the earth and was glorified here. Here's the second reality. The Bible begins at Genesis 1, not Genesis 3. And you say, now what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is God created the heavens and the earth and he took delight in the heavens and the earth. You say, well, how do we know that he took delight in the heavens and the earth? Well, God says, and it was very good. And he delighted in his creation, not just man. Yes, we are the pinnacle and the crowning point of his creation, but, but, not just, but, but he was not just pleased with his pinnacle and crowning creation. He was, in fact, pleased with all of creation that he created. Third, God did not hold back his best when he created the earth. Again, God said everything was good. God gave the earth to mankind. God created and gave us the earth. As, not necessarily as we now see it, right, because sin has tainted it. But as it, as it once was, God did, in fact, give it to humanity. I think, fourthly, humans are made in the image of God, and we are made to have dominion. God, when he created the heavens and the earth, gave the earth to mankind to have dominion over. And we have no reason to doubt or believe that in the new heavens and the new earth, the same will be true. Now, certainly, we will be ruling as we should have been and, and rightly restored, but we will be ruling over creation itself. Fifthly, God has entered into an eternal covenant with creation. You say, well, now, wait a minute. What do you, what do you mean? Now, Paul says in Romans that, 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 the, that the earth is groaning, right? Well, it, it is groaning. It's groaning for the fullness of salvation to be, to be clearly seen. But in Hosea chapter 2, verse 18, God makes it clear that he has entered into an eternal covenant with all of creation. I think uh, next, I think the destruction of the earth does not mean it's obliteration. As I said, 2 Peter 3.10, let's turn there, 2 Peter 3.10, because I, I want you to see this. In 2 Peter 3.10, it says, <clears throat> excuse me, should have had it marked, sorry. But in 2 Peter 3.10, it says this, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. And the earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. You say, well, see, there you go. That's, the Bible says everything is going to be burned up. Well, the problem is the Bible uses, uh, uses fire in three, at least three, perhaps four different instances. The first is for that of purification. I think God, God talks about uh, using fire for purification. Second, he, he uses it, in the sense of judgment, that is, that all sin will ultimately be judged, and uh, that even the good works of, of believers will pass through the fire to have them have them tested. But but even more so in the unbeliever, that they will be judged. They their judgment is ultimate through the in in hell and ultimately through the lake of fire. 
And then it uses it in, in a very spiritual sense, uh, talking about lust uh, and talking about uh, the tongue and lying and all these other things, right, uh, uh, that, uh, that we see. It, it's used in a metaphorical sense, in a, in a spiritual sense. And the meaning here, when it talks about being burnt up, um, I, I truly believe is, um, is in the first sense of purification, of the God purifying, cleansing, washing the world. Because this, is, this word is also used, and, and Peter actually connects it to the flood. And this word, the same word, the same sense of the word is used talking about Noah's uh, flood, the flood that, that God sent upon the earth in the days of Noah, and he says he destroyed the earth. Well, clearly we're still here, right? And clearly the earth still exists, Right? And so when he says God is going to burn the earth in 2 Peter 3.10, it is through that which is through refinement and purification. God will purify the earth from all sin. And this is what creation itself is groaning for. Creation itself is not groaning for it to be killed mercifully. It is groaning for its ultimate purification and the day in which Christ will fully restore it to what it was intended to be. I think there's, a, there's another reality for us, which is that um, God takes here in this chapter, in chapter 21, and if you notice this, he speaks of, throughout the, throughout the Bible, of a holy land. But in Revelation 21, he doesn't speak of a holy land. He speaks of a holy earth. He speaks of a holy earth, a place of where New Jerusalem itself will dwell, being the people of God. And that God himself will be with us. That is, that God will work in, uh, for his glory and dwell among his people here, as we'll see in just a minute. And that this will be a place where no more, no more sin will ever taint the world. And so God doesn't speak of a holy land. He expands that to speak of a holy earth. I think next, um, we, we truly understand that uh, to be away from the body is to be home with the Lord. But there's coming a day in which us, we, body and soul, will be before the Lord. Next, I think, ninthly, the reality is that Jesus' proclamation about the kingdom of God is concerned and was concerned with this world. The kingdom is expanding in this world. The kingdom of God is excuse me, growing in this world. And the proclamation of the gospel is occurring in this world. And lastly, the renewal of the earth means that we are committed, we are committed, we are not addicted to, we are not clinging on to, but we are committed to the things of this world. Now by that, I do not mean to say uh, that we are committed to the, to, the, to the wicked things or the sinful things of this earth, but again, that matter itself and creation itself is an evil. Matter itself and creation itself is not evil. It never has been. It never will be. Right? Food is not inherently evil. God created food before, uh, before he created man. God created worship right? in the garden. God created, God created a garden and placed man there. God, God cares about his creation. God cares about his creation. And we as God's people, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not advocating for any sort of, of, of Green New Deal here, but what I am saying is that it should, we should care about whether or not the earth gets polluted or whether or not uh, cr the creation resources that we've been given 
whether they're rightfully used or, or sinfully used. Like, uh, listen, I, I, I grew up in, in southeastern Kentucky, and, and if you grew up anywhere, East Kentucky, East Tennessee, West Virginia, anywhere like that, in coal mining country, you'll know that, uh, that until the coal mines were forced to take care of the creation, they didn't. The, there were mudslides every spring, decimated whole places from the, from the, from the strip mining that, that was done. And all kinds of crazy things that happened. Greater destruction occurred because the coal companies strip mined whole places and never cared once about creation or the ramifications of creation. And that's not to be us, Christian. We are to care about the, the resources we have. Again, I'm not arguing for the Green New Deal or anything like that, but I am talking about responsible care for creation right you know it's like you shouldn't be dumping pollution in the water system right you should actually care about things right it was it was nothing growing up you always knew if you're going to drink water you better drink water from the stream upstream where there were no more houses because everything was dumped in those little streams and went down the river. And if you were going to bathe or wash or you were going to you were going to play and splash around you better go up the stream you better, not, you better not go downstream after the houses. You better go upstream because all the dirty pollution from those houses went directly into that stream. Brothers and sisters, we should care. We should care. We should care about our, our creation. Again, not like the, the, not like the I don't know what to call them, the, 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 the environmentalist people, not like them, but we should care. We should care, and we should glorify God. And so let, let me say this. Christian, when you mow your grass, when you uh, take care of your garden, you're doing what God created you to do, and you should take joy and delight in that. God created you for that. You are taking dominion over the earth. And this is what God created us to do. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little story, and this may sound silly to you, but it it. it it, it was how I got through mowing. When I had to mow, when, when we lived uh, in, a, in our own house and we had to, we had to mow, uh, every time I'd get on that tractor and start mowing my grass, it'd be like, all right, grass, I'm taking dominion over you today. <laughs> it just got me through the job. It just got me through the job. But it's, it's true. But then he goes on, John goes on, and he says, for the, for the heaven and earth, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. In what sense, again, does he mean it's passed away? Well, again, in the sense that it has been refined and purified from all of its, all of its sin that we as humans, by, by falling into sin, subjected it to. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, truly passed away. Just as we will one day pass away, but we will not be, it will not be the end of us. Uh, we will be given new bodies, so the earth will one day experience the exact same reality. And then there's the vision that John sees. So not only new heaven and new earth, but also the vision that John then sees. He not only sees a new heaven and new earth, but in verse 2 it says, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So uh, look, look, at, look, look, at, look at what's what is entailed in this verse. First, we have the name, right? We have the name. What's the name? A holy city, New Jerusalem. Where is, it, where is it coming to? It's coming to earth. Where is it coming from? From heaven. What is the appearance of it? It is as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, 
most people, or, or there are a lot of people who would say, well, this is a, uh, this is a, uh, this is a new city, this is new, uh, a, new, a new Jerusalem, I mean, that's what the text says. But as you, as you begin to experience this, and as you begin to read through this, and ultimately as we will read through this, you will un- begin to understand that unless the earth is expanded, New Jerusalem here is larger than the earth that we currently live on. And so is he talking about a literal New Jerusalem city, a city like the city of Jerusalem today? I do not believe he is. I believe this is a reference to God's people. I believe this is a reference to the fact that uh, we are brought back to the earth and we as the people of God, now God now dwells among us fully and forever. We are the new Jerusalem of God. We come down, again, the language, the verbiage is that of the same of Revelation 19 that talks about the bride of Christ is adorned for her husband. Here again, that exact same phrase is used in reference to New Jerusalem. I don't see any other way that we can get around that. This is not speaking of a, I don't believe this is speaking of a literal city, but rather of the dwelling place of the people of God all over the earth, where God dwells among us. And it's a beautiful place, God uh, having, having restored everything to its proper place, and God's bringing his people back to the earth to dwell in this earth. But notice next that there is not only a vision of the holy city, there's also a loud voice from the throne. Because in verse 3, listen to what it says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, you say, well, what, what, is that, what does that exactly mean? Well, what it exactly means is, God is dwelling with us now, today, right? He is, but this will be in a, in a, in a much different way. This will be God, the, pre, the very presence of God dwelling among the inhabitants of the earth forever and ever. There will never be a time in which we're ever separated from him ever again. And notice, notice here the play that John is using, the, 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 the God is given here, Right? He says, and I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then the very next thing that he mentions is a tabernacle or a temple, right? A tabernacle, right? A tabernacle. And God will, will dwell, God will tabernacle. Not that there will be a tabernacle, but that God will tabernacle. And the amazing thing about this is this is the exact same verbiage that John uses in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And it says, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of, of the Father. But in that... In that, the reality is that John uses the word Jesus tabernacled with us. And he uses the same idea here that God is going to tabernacle with us. So Jesus will, the Father will, the the, the Spirit will be with us in all of their fullness and glory. We will dwell among the, him, them, we will, they will dwell among us. God will dwell among us. God dwells among his people, the people of God. And notice here that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And that's, that's the reality, right? The loud voice here is, is God's proclaiming of what's going to happen. And part of what's going to happen here, it says in, the, in that God is going to wipe away all the tears, 
all the, all the tear, all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Notice the extensive care that the Lord is going to give to us, his people. No, notice the particular care that he does. Look at the um, Look at, look at first and foremost, he wipes away every tear. Now, now, just hang on that for a second. Hang on that for a second. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. God cares for his people. So much so that there is coming a day in which the Lord himself, God himself, will dry every eye of his people. How will he do that? Well, he will do that by caring enough that he abolishes the effects of sin. Now, what what do you say? When you say the effects of sin, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, John lists them for us here, doesn't he? He lists them. You say, well, well, where does he list them? Well, Well, notice here, after he says he wipes away all their tears from their eyes, and he says, and there shall be no more death, Neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now what you need to know is that this is a direct illusion. This passage is a direct, and Revelation 21 is a direct illusion to Isaiah 65 and 66. This is a direct illusion to Revelation 21. Uh, to Isaiah 65 and 66. Uh, Revelation 21 um, is pulling from that language, the, the prophetic language in Isaiah. And so what he's doing here is in just like there in Isaiah, so here also, he lists everything that he is going to do, abolishing all the effects of sin. There will be no more dying. There will be no more mourning. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. Why? Because all things will be made new because God will have brought the former things to an end completely. And the same, the language John employs here is similar to the language that Paul uses. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is this language that John employs when he's talking about Paul, and when he's when he's referencing what Paul references in Second Corinthians five seventeen. And so God is at work, moving His plan, moving His purposes forward. And the next, God proclaims that He is making everything new. Right, all all things are being renewed, all things are being restored. And so in Revelation twenty one five through eight, listen, listen to what it says here. And He that sat upon the throne said. Behold, I make all things new. So God himself is now speaking, right? The one sitting on the throne, God himself is now speaking. And he said to me, write for these words are true and faithful. In other words, God is, God is insisting that what he's saying here is 100% to be trusted. 100% to be, uh, to be trusted. And then he goes on and he said to me, in verse 6, I, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to him that is thirsty of the fountain of the water of life freely. Again, John is pulling from Jesus' own words, or Jesus is pulling from his own words when he said what he said on the cross. It is finished. 
he is saying again, the work in creation, the work through the cross that I have done in, in, in redeeming my people and bringing about a new creation, this work is finished, it's completed. There's nothing else to be done. There's nothing else to be done in this work. It is completed. It is finished. The time is over. And so we have the proclamation of this reality. Behold, look, see, I'm making, I make all things new. Right? The, 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 the completion. I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who set it in motion. He is the one who brings it to its completion. He is the one who is the creator, and he is the one who is the recreator, the, re, uh, the, the, the recreator of, of, of heaven and earth. And he says, because I am Alpha and because I'm Omega, you can trust me. You can trust what I'm saying. You can trust me. You can, you can know that I'm going to do this because I am king and I am Lord and I am God. I'm going to bring this about. I'm going to make this happen. Because not only do, I ha- not only do you have my word, not only am I truthful, but because I have the authority to do this. I have the authority to do this. As the Alpha, as the Omega, I have every authority to do this. But he goes on and he says, and he, tell, he tells his people, he says, look to me, trust me. I mean, these are, these, are the, these are what we're constantly being told throughout Scripture. Look to me, trust me. Don't rely upon anything else that you see. Because it's so easy when we look around us to think, man, oh, we're losing. Jesus is losing. But in reality, Jesus is not losing. The gospel is advancing. The gospel is moving forward. The gospel is tearing down walls of, of sin and separation. Gospel is, is working in the world. The gospel is moving throughout the world to, to, to bring about people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship the King of Heaven and to be a part of this new creation. God is doing this. God is working, God is moving to glorify himself because he has the authority to do this. He has the right to do this. He has the rule and the reign. He has the right of rule and reign to do this. And so he has the authority as the creator, as the, as the, as the one to whom all will give an account, as the author uh, and finisher of not only our faith, but all the lives of men and women. God holds the hand in his hands, all life at all times. And he says, because of this, I have the authority to do what I do. But in proclaiming this authority, he then offers an extension. And I don't mean extension as in like, you know, you have to file your taxes, you have to file an extension on your taxes, which gives you more time, right? I don't mean it like that. But he extends because of all of the reality of what's going to come to pass. He extends, as he has throughout the book of Revelation, an offer. He extends an offer. You say, well, what do you mean by the offer? Well, he says in verse 7, he that overcomes shall inherit all things. Or I'm sorry, let's pack up in verse 6 at the very end. And he says, and I, will give, uh, I, and I will give to him that is thirsty of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. So, What is the Lord saying? What is God actually saying there? Well, the extension is, if you come to me by grace through faith, you can be made 
new. You can become part of the kingdom. You can be made a son or daughter of mine. And and this is the amazing thing about, about the Lord. Throughout Revelation, you know, Revelation is often seen, and, and I mean, obviously I understand why it's often seen as a book of complete and utter judgment and, and condemnation. I mean, r- rightly so. I mean, I, I don't want to take away from that. I mean, there, there's a lot of judgment that goes on in the book of Revelation. But the thing that often I think gets, gets overlooked in the book of Revelation is that with the threats of judgment, God is constantly offering to save sinners. He's saying, yes, I'm going to judge the world. Yes, I'm going to destroy the world. Yes, I'm going to destroy the nations. I'm going to plow them under through the gospel. I'm going to plow them under. They are going to face my judgment. They are going to taste my my wrath because of their sin and their refusal to, to bow down to me. Yes, they will. But it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be like that. All who will repent and believe the gospel will be saved. All who repent and believe Christ will be saved. And God says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Lord always promises with the threatenings, life if we will but repent and believe the gospel. And his promise to those who overcome is he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But in all of this, there's also a warning. God closes with a warning here in verse 8, doesn't he? Notice the warning, what it says. He starts with that little article, the word but. But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, notice, notice what the Lord Jesus is very clearly saying. So there's the offer of salvation that's freely extended to you. Right? It's freely extended to you. Right? And if you, if you come, become my sons and daughters, by grace alone, through faith alone, right, in Christ alone, if that happens then you will overcome. But if you will refuse, just know that there are consequences to your, to your sin. To your sin. Um, it always amazes me how, uh, you know, sometimes you watch videos uh, on, on uh, interactions between people, and it's always amazing to me how, um, you know, you, you know, you're said, hey, you know, would you, would you do this? Or, or, or a police officer orders you to do something. Hey, get out of the car. Why? 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 And like 10 times later, it's like, why? And then, then they're getting their windows broke out and they're being dragged from the car. What did I do? Right? I mean, it's just silly stuff. Right? And, and oftentimes, this is, the, this is the reality of what we're facing. We, we, we can be told over and over and over again, but until it becomes real to us, until it becomes real to us, we will never feel the weight of what's happening, right? And I guarantee you, somebody who's being rightfully taken out of a car, being dragged out of a car and having been tased, they taste the reality of their, their actions at that point, right? Well, the, 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 it's true for us as human beings, though. Often it's not until we taste and have to taste the reality and of the of the judgment of God 
that they people realize because of their sinfulness and wickedness. They don't realize the, the, what's coming, even though the Lord constantly tells them, even though the Lord constantly explains to them, look, judgment is going to fall. We don't listen as people all too often. But the warning is there nonetheless. The warning is there because Christ is a powerful Savior who saves sinners who will repent and believe the gospel. And, we who, and, and this doesn't negate God's sovereign grace at all. Right? This doesn't mean, well, you know, uh, that, that uh, just because we, we warn people that we don't believe God is sovereign. We most certainly do. But we pray that in the warnings, God may sovereignly work and move in their hearts to draw them to faith in Christ. And God uses warnings very effectively. God uses warnings very effectively. And it doesn't have to be a, a police interaction. I mean, I remember, I remember my mom saying something. And me not doing it. And then next thing I know, dad's pulling off his belt and I'm, I'm paying, the, uh, the, paying the piper for not listening, right? It can be in, in so many different realities and so many interactions that we don't realize the ramifications and the repercussions of what can happen and what will happen. The good news is that if you go back to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul gives a very similar list. But then he ends with this. And such were some of you. So what's the good news? That because we're in Christ, we are not these things any longer. We may have been these things at one point, but we don't have to remain these things. We don't have to remain sorcerers or idolaters or unbelieving or murderers or any of the other things that he lists here, homosexuals and sexually immoral, all these other things that he lists here. We don't have to be and remain these things because Christ, the gospel of Christ, transforms sinners and makes them saints. And so we who are God's people, we listen to the warning. We listen to God's warning and we rejoice. We rejoice in the work that's coming. And yet at the same time, in rejoicing in the work that's coming, we also realize that we still, until the end of time, we have a job or a, and a duty, a responsibility to be faithful to preach the gospel to sinners. To, to remind ourselves of God's grace and how we can be made right with, with Christ and with one another through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can, we can, we can own our, 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 our sin and repent and turn to Christ and look to Christ and honor Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ and serve Christ together. And so let us pray together as we, as we think on these things, as we look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. But the task that God has still set before us until the day of, 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 of completion, let us, let us prepare our hearts to rejoice and to preach and to praise God. Let's pray. Father, as we close our time together, we are thankful for your grace that has appeared to us in Christ. So here we are, your people needing your help, needing your guidance, needing your direction in all things as always, needing your grace. Um, Lord, we thank you that you have told us that in Christ you have given us grace upon grace. So may we experience that reality. May you cause us to look forward to the day of the new heavens and the new earth and the day that everything is made new and the day in which uh, there, there, are, there is no more um, um, removal. As you say, there will be no more sea because the sea will no longer divide the nations. And so may we rejoice in that day, the day in which all people, as the people of God, will be made, will be made, will be joined together and made to worship there at your throne. Until that time, may we be faithful to preach Jesus.
And we ask this in Jesus' name.